0: Angela, did you know that we are not the only tech podcast out there?
1: We are not the only tech podcast? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Of course not. I listen to a number of tech podcasts.
0: So do I. There, there, I mean, there are so many good tech podcasts out there. Yeah, yeah. One that I just discovered, Um, it's called the, the Read Me Podcast from GitHub. Have you heard of this one?
1: No, I haven't. What is it about?
0: Well, I mean, I, I could tell you about it, but what I really wanted to do was invite the host of that show to talk to us right now.
1: Even better.
0: <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, all right. Welcome,
2: Brian Douglas, B Dougie. Hey, and thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to chat with y'all about why I'm here. Welcome.
1: Oh, we're happy to have you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Why don't you tell our listeners who you are?
2: I am Brian Douglas, AKA B Dougie. And um, I am a developer advocate at GitHub and co-host of the ReadMe podcast. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about ReadMe? Yeah, so the ReadMe project is an opportunity for GitHub to interview some of the most impactful maintainers in our ecosystem, which is the the dev space. And uh, we have conversations about where they started, their first sort of interaction with the computer, but also what they're working on today Just sort of figure out how folks got to where they are, but how they sustain themselves. Mm
0: So, here's what I'm curious about. One, what is a maintainer?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So, like in the context of code, these are folks who either create projects or take the the sort of role the the mantra of maintainer on a project. So on the actual GitHub platform, you could actually set up in your repository your organization the role as maintainer. And as folks grow projects, they invite other maintainers to answer questions, review PRs, open and close issues. It's basically just get the project to move forward in cutting future releases.
0: Mm. I think what I've found so interesting about your interviews is that it often seems like the role of the maintainer tends to grow over time. Like It can very easily become overwhelming. Something that started as a small project or something that started as something you spend you know, a little bit of time on can very quickly sometimes grow into being really
2: overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like most maintainers, they start writing code because they love what they're doing. They love the little side project, love seeing performance increases or getting adoption and issues opened. There's actually an interview we actually did with this developer, Yanni, who's the, previously the maintainer of this project called Foam. And I say previously because that was what the discussion was about. Is sort of understanding burnout and understanding when to walk away. So with Yanni, his project became so popular at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 that he loved the interactions and the conversation so much, he just never said no. And it got to the point where he had enough people reaching out to him, even with this being an open source project, uh, VCs asking to invest millions of dollars and folks asking for new features. And he had to take the decision to step away from the project and say, I realize, okay, I am burned out. I need to hand this over to somebody else.
0: Mm. It, it sounds like there are some elements in this story that when combined might lead to burnout. I, and I'm wondering now, like, what are those contributing factors? Like, could we put together a recipe for burnout?
1: This really sounds like a question for one of our producers. Yeah. I think we need to find someone that can help us explore this more.
0: All right. B-Dougie, we're going to say goodbye to you right now. We're going to put Johan on the case, but we're going to be back with you. So we will come back to you at the end of the show. Sound good?
2: Sounds good. See you soon.
0: All right. All right. This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat.
1: We're your hosts.
0: I'm Brett Simino
1: And I'm Angela Andrews.
0: We're here to break down questions from the tech industry. Big, small, and sometimes strange.
1: In each episode, we go out in search of answers from Red Hatters and people they're connected to.
0: Today's question, what's the recipe for Burnout
1: producer and baker johan philippine is here to help us out
0: all right johan we have put you on the case we are trying to understand burnout what do you have for us quite
3: a bit i spoke with maintainers who have experienced burnout and i've also spoken to some people who actually did some empirical research on the causes of burnout Hmm. Now, it wasn't all that difficult to find people who've burnt out. I believe that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I spoke with Nolan Lawson, who wrote a widely read blog post about his experience as a maintainer.
4: My name is Nolan Lawson. I'm a software engineer. I'm a JavaScript programmer, JavaScript slinger, basically. His story is pretty
0: typical.
3: He... Got started contributing to a project and noticed that he was able to help with some open issues. And the more he helped, the more he found that he enjoyed doing that.
4: It was just kind of fun to get involved. And then I noticed like, hey, there's all these other, you know, open issues that could also be improved. And so I started kind of working on those. And before I knew it, I was kind of like, you know, one of the, the top maintainers of the project, kind of like, you know, one of the go-to people for questions and support and things like that.
3: But unfortunately, it didn't always end up being something joyful for him.
4: Yeah. So in, in my post, I use this metaphor of having a, a line of, of 100 people standing outside your door, all just kind of patiently waiting for you to, to let them in and, and deal with them one at a time. And, you know, each one is like bringing with you a, pr- a problem, basically. Like, like nobody comes to your project and files a bug on you or opens a pull request because everything is fine with the world and they love your project and it perfectly satisfied all their needs and they just rode off into the sunset.
1: Oh gosh, that hit me to my core. I remember when I used to be on the help desk and when your phone rang, you were filled with dread because you knew someone was calling to complain about something. And I'm likening that to being a maintainer. When he was like, you open your door and there's 100 people standing in the line. You know, I'm looking at my phone and every light is lit. It's like, oh my gosh, how overwhelming is that?
3: And that's the first ingredient in our recipe. An overwhelming or seemingly unending amount of work, that would be draining enough if it was your day job, which to be clear for many people, it is their day job to be a maintainer. But for a lot of them, and in Nolan's case, this role is something they do in their spare time.
4: Yeah, this was something that I was doing on uh, on nights and weekends. And and it got to the point in 2016 where it was basically my only hobby. And I was doing it like every night, every weekend.
3: That sounds like a lot of non-work work. It does, yeah. And And that's ingredient number two, not having healthy limits or boundaries on your work why would he put himself through that?
4: Like the guilt was a huge part of it, right? Because I constantly had people telling me like, hey, like this bug, like I lost data because of this bug permanently. Or like, you know, my app that I built, like I'm struggling to make it work. One example that uh, was both encouraging and discouraging was uh, I remember during the Ebola outbreak in 2015, there was a team that had used our project, that used PouchDB to build an app and they were actually using it to do like contact tracing out in Africa somewhere. And it it worked, um, but they ran into problems. And when they described the problems to me, like the developers told me about the problems, I thought to myself, like, I remember that bug. Yeah, you know, I knew about that bug, but I I didn't really, I didn't address that bug because I addressed other bugs instead. And so I actually had to think to myself, like, did this, like, I don't know, did this impede their efforts? Like, or should I should I just be happy that they used it in the first place?
1: That is heavy. Gosh.
3: Yeah, that is that is a lot
0: of pressure to put on yourself. Right. I mean, is he saying that in the back of his head, he's wondering, is this a matter of life and death? Mm-hmm.
1: That's very heavy. And to carry that with you, because he knew he remembered Like, oh, I remember that bug, but I didn't have time to get to it because there were other things that he had to address. So, wow.
3: Yeah, guilt is a powerful motivator. And that's really the third ingredient for our recipe for burnout. It's kind of the sense of obligation to do more, of of never doing quite enough. We're going to get back to Nolan. There's a bit of a happy ending there, but... (laughs) (laughs) Angela's (laughs) worried. We we started off pretty heavy with this episode, but it's going to get better, I promise. But before it gets better, it's also going to get a little bit worse. So (laughs) buckle in, everyone. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the other pressures that maintainers can face because apparently the stress of helping even well-meaning people isn't enough to deal with. There was a recent study put out by a research group that looked at the incidence of toxicity in open source communities. And the reason that they started this study is because they noticed on blog posts and social medias and all over the internet that this is a conversation that was becoming more prominent in the past few years. And so they decided to say, hey, you know, we can see all of this anecdotal evidence that something is happening. Let's let's do an actual study to see what's going on.
0: Oh, so a lot of people are talking about this. Mm -hmm. But as researchers, they want to investigate. They want to put their methodologies behind this right. to see what's really going on here, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What did they find out?
1: Well,
3: here's Dr. Vasilescu on the initial findings of their study.
5: So one thing that we're finding, and this is a largely a confirmation of what what people have talked about, is that entitlement is a really common theme, more so than I don't know, like hate speech or, or other things like that that are more prevalent on, on other platforms. For those of you who somehow
3: aren't familiar with comments on the internet, they can be pretty awful. You don't say.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> and that's really interesting. So what we mean by entitlement is that often, I, I guess, people take each other for granted and you know, make these demands or requests that can be perceived as, as entitled. Uh, for example, you know, I, I've opened an issue two hours ago and you still haven't fixed it.
3: So that's a lot. And it's a perfect example for the fourth ingredient for burnout, receiving criticism that makes all the other ingredients stand out more. It's like adding salt. Like Dr. Vasilescu mentioned, there's been a lot of talk from maintainers and contributors about the problem. But we spoke to Naveen Rahman. He's one of the students who worked on the project and he's about to bring out the receipts.
6: So what we did is we started with a list of toxic issues. And the way we found this was we went through GitHub recently or a couple of years ago, what they did was they closed certain conversations because they were too heated. And we looked at these conversations because we predicted or we thought that there would be a higher level of toxicity or toxic interactions in these conversations. So we looked through some of these conversations and we labeled each comment as either toxic or non-toxic. And so this is kind of our training data set. And we use this to train an SVM or support vector machine based classifier to predict, given a comment in some GitHub conversation or GitHub issue, is it going to be toxic or not?
3: And so what they did is they then took this classifier and they applied it to many, many more open issues over the course of years of an archive of these issues from 2012 to 2018 or 2019.
5: And the results? It is rather rare, which is maybe maybe the good news of the story. According to our estimates, it is less than 1% of conversations of issues contain instances of toxicity. It's closer to half of 1%, rather.
0: So, you know fairly low it's interesting because there's like the numerical experience of that that's Mm -hmm. like you know half of a percent and then there's the psychological experience of that or like the emotional experience of that where that you know that half of a percent can feel like Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot more than that right yeah so even though it's a minority of
3: interactions it might still be the one thing that affects you for a day a week a month yeah now there's more but it's back to the good news
6: One interesting trend that we noticed was that the rate of toxicity on GitHub overall tends to decrease over time. We took it from, I think it was 2012 to 2018. And what we found was that there was a significant decrease in terms of like monthly and yearly rate of toxicity. And we think this is because toxicity has become a bigger issue. And so people have started to notice it. And people have started to take probably some type of mitigation steps.
3: To recap, maintainers have a tough, often unpaid job as it is. Let's not add to their stressors by being toxic on top of it all. We're going to get back to Nolan now and what he actually did to resolve his burnout.
4: Shortly after I wrote that post, I basically stopped looking at any pull requests or issues for this particular project or its satellite projects. I, I took all the little plugins I had written that were important to the community, and I passed over maintainership to other people. And I gave the keys to the GitHub repos and the NPM publish rights. I gave them to someone else and just kind of said here and just completely stopped looking at it entirely. I also went through a bunch of my other projects. There were smaller projects related or unrelated and just kind of aggressively said, like, either this is something I actually care about and maybe I'll keep maintaining or, you know, I don't care about this anymore. And I just put a big unmaintained in all caps on the project to to indicate that I was I was not going to respond to any issues or anything anymore.
3: That's pretty drastic action, right? I mean, he's completely cutting himself off from these projects that he was, you know, very invested in. But for Nolan, it's what he needed to do to recover.
0: It's important for us to stop every now and then and really reassess all that we're doing. What do we really care about? What is really important to us? What do we value? And then it's hard. (laughs) Like it is really hard, especially when you really care about a lot of things. But sometimes we have to say no, you know, sometimes we have to sort of stop doing some of the things that we're doing
1: stop doing yeah it sounds so simple doesn't it it really does
3: nolan told us a little bit about what he as a maintainer ended up having to do for those projects once he stopped maintaining them
4: you know for projects that have actually like gotten some momentum in the community and maybe have an active group of people working on it it can go on without you and that was really kind of a beautiful thing for me as well to feel that people who had been in the community We're kind of giving me license to to leave. We're saying, it's okay. It's okay to leave. It's okay to step back. And that made me feel a little less less guilty about it. For other ones where it was kind of a one-man show, those projects essentially died in that moment. And I had to just kind of accept that. So
3: stepping back has different repercussions depending on the stage that your project is in. For big projects where you're more likely to have that line of 100 people at the door, you're also more likely to have other maintainers who can step in and really help out when you have to step back. For smaller projects, though, like Nolan just mentioned, when you're the only person maintaining it, that might be the end of the project. But it doesn't necessarily mean that no one else can use it. And there's always the option that for that project, someone else could fork it and kind of take over for you.
4: When it comes to open source outside of my day job, though, I mostly focus on... Really small, well defined projects with a limited scope. That's kind of been my main strategy to avoid burning out again. Is, you know, I'll have very small projects. And one of the first things I'll do when I publish it is I will explain in the README what the project is not meant to do. I've also, I'm mostly not doing open source every single weekend, every single weeknight. You know, I'll take breaks of weeks or more. Like if someone opens an issue and they're having a problem, then I don't get to it until. Four weeks later, like, so be it. I, I put this thing out there for free. If somebody wants to use it, that's great. And if they're having problems, like, it's it's not my responsibility. I don't consider it my responsibility anymore to, to try to swoop in and be a superhero for every single person out there complaining about something I made.
3: But in more recent developments, he's also noticed a, a special kind of pull request.
4: Also, another thing I, I've noticed, I, I don't know if this has just happened to me, but uh, since I wrote that post where I said, you know, nobody comes to your project and files an issue on you when they're completely satisfied. I've actually gotten a few people since then who have filed issues in my projects and said, you know, hey, I don't have a bug, I don't have a problem with your project. I just wanted to say it's really great and I, and I love it and I used it and was successful and I wanted to say thank you. And that kind of warmed my
1: heart to see that. I've seen that a couple of times. That's awesome. Yeah. Someone took his post to heart and appreciated work that he did and told himself. And that doesn't happen enough. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say being a maintainer is probably a really thankless job. And to get a little thanks every now and again kind of puts a little bounce in your step. It kind of makes it all worth it, I guess. So I'm so glad to hear that. That made me smile.
3: It really made me smile, too, you know, and got me thinking that if we could systematize something like this get the positive reinforcement a little bit more regularly, it would really help maintainers feel like it's not so much of a thankless job.
1: There's a list. I'm actually writing a list. Hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, how do you circumvent burnout? You know, and I'm sure everyone's list looks different.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: At the heart of it, everyone's going to say you have to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. You can't let something consume you because it sounds like a recipe for burnout. And he sounded consumed. I wonder if that happens to other maintainers. Have they gotten those types of warm and those thank yous? You know, thank you for maintaining this project. Yeah. Like a little tip of the hat every now and again. I wonder if that happens to other maintainers.
3: I really hope so because... It sounded like it was a big help for Nolan in in his return to maintaining, right? Mm -hmm. It's a small thing. You know, it didn't cost anything except a little bit of time to open the issue and and write the little note. But, you know, just like those negative messages can have an outsized impact, clearly these positive ones can counteract them at least a little bit. So I, I hope it's something that's becoming more widespread than just in Nolan's projects, because... Maintainers do a lot of work and a lot of the times it's voluntary and in their free time and they deserve a little more recognition.
1: So, B. Dougie, you just had a listen to our episode on burnout and I'm wondering, how did it make you feel? Like, I'm sure you hear about it and you talk about it on your podcast, but give me some of your thoughts on this subject and how pervasive it is in the community right now.
2: Yeah, I I would say that um, there's a lot of eye-opening data out there. And I think as we're all trying to navigate in this like new space, which is like remote slash hybrid interactions, it's like being able to have those boundaries and understand that as humans, like. Being okay with saying no is something that even myself personally, I I try to think of on a constant basis. But um, I'm just thinking about all these new engineers, all the people coming out of college or starting their first dev jobs. Like they all also need to hear these stories so that way they can start off with the right foot forward.
0: You know, part of what Johan brought us was that it's not always clear that you're talking to a human, you know? Like, yeah, it is really, I think, part and parcel with talking to people on the internet (laughs) a lot of times that like (laughs) you're just sort of like pushing things out into space you know and what I think I love about your show is that it really puts a human behind the project.
2: It's very true because like a lot of folks like you strangers on the internet uh, in the night uh, it's easy this to have like a really quippy response or a very like non-very-warm interaction.
0: And that can lead to a lot of
2: toxicity, right? Yes, exactly. And more and more like people get brave. But once you actually understand these humans, or not even understand humans, understand there are humans, you tend to interact differently. I think what it really comes down to is like, we learn from the stories that are existent and the more conversation we have about burnout and more conversations about maintainers stepping down from projects or looking for a new maintainership, uh, we can help, push the community in a positive direction by talking about some of the stuff that maybe isn't as positive at the end of it.
1: I like that. I like that we can talk about burnout being a real thing. It's not taboo. I mean, think about it. In the past five years or so, you know, we would never hear people talking about their their mental states and their mental health. And I like the fact that we're having this conversation so people can turn the mirror on themselves maybe if need be.
0: Yeah, we, we've been talking about maintainers and open source communities and in the tech industry as a whole. There's a lot of burnout happening yes. and a lot of people are talking about it more and more and more.
1: And the last two years, I mean, think about it. We've kind of been working from home and where our lines are getting more and more blurred, it seems. So it's nice that folks can start talking about it and recognizing it and then taking action on it.
0: So Brian, your conversation with Yanni,
2: that's actually out today, right? Correct. Actually, it just shipped today. So anywhere you like to find podcasts and listen to podcasts, just check out the ReadMe project, the ReadMe podcast. And uh, also go to github.com slash readme if you want to listen to it in the browser. And also shout out to the GitHub Twitter where we, we post all, every time we publish a, a new episode, and we do
1: publish it from the Twitter account. That's Awesome. So listeners, we definitely want you to share your thoughts with us. Tweet us at Red Hat and make sure you use the hashtag compilerpodcast. We want to hear your thoughts about burnout. Be honest. How are you dealing with things now? And if you've had burnout, how did you turn a corner? Definitely share your secrets. Our listeners would love to hear it.
0: All right. Thanks for me, Dougie. We'll catch you next time. See you.
1: Thanks for joining us. And that does it for this episode of Compiler.
0: Today's episode was produced by Johan Philippine and Caroline Craighead. Victoria Lawton has the fire extinguisher at the ready so we don't burn out.
1: (laughs) Our audio engineer is Christy Chan. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Mary Ann Chetta.
0: Big thank you to our guests, Brian Douglas, a.k.a. B-Dougie. Nolan Lawson, Dr. Bogdan Vasilescu, and Naveen Rahman.
1: Our audio team includes Lee Day, Laura Barnes, Claire Allison, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Boo Boo House, Rachel Ertel, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, and Laura Walters. If
0: you liked today's episode, please follow the show. Rate the show, leave a review, share it with someone you know. It really, really does help us out.
1: Thank you so much for listening.
0: All right. See you next time. I am Mike Ferris, Chief Strategy Officer at Red Hat. And as you might expect in my role, I get a lot of questions about AI, particularly about foundation models. Now don't get me wrong, those are important, but they're not the whole story. Whether you're using a commercial model or an open source one, you're going to need to fine tune or augment models with your data for your use case. And you need a common platform for that where data scientists, App developers and ops teams can all collaborate, especially as you start to scale.
2: And then this is iterative, it's rinse and repeat.
0: So, really, it's about making that fast path from idea to model to production and back again. And that's what Red Hat OpenShift AI does. Head to redhat.com to learn more.